The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you would look with me in Matthew chapter 28 and look at verse 16. Now before I do this, can I acknowledge something um, this, this, uh, this evening? I am fully aware that some of what I'm about to say I have already said. So it will be somewhat repetitious, but my effort is to do, I had one granddaddy who played baseball. I had another granddaddy who was a carpenter. Um, I took after one. I did not take after the other one, as my wife can readily attest to you. But uh, one of the things, when I would watch my granddaddy, who was the carpenter, he, um, we were building something and we, you know, and I, he was showing me how to hit the nail and drive it in. And I did. And I said, uh, okay. And my, my granddaddy uh, said to me, he said, you're not finished, son. And I said, what is it next? And he said, well, if you're going to build something and you're going to put the nails in, you haven't finished till you set the nail. And that's what uh, us preachers try to do. We try to sneak up on you with repetition, uh, bringing something we've already struck two or three or four times, but we want to set the nail. And this matter of Christ's church on mission, on message, and in ministry, as directed by the head of the church, Christ himself, the owner of the church, Christ himself, the one who purchased the church with his own blood, I believe that we need to set it. Now, there's a couple of reasons why. We are in a season in our culture in general and in the church itself. We are in a season of sifting and shifting And as my friends across the pond of the Atlantic would say, a season of sorting out. And we're about to find out it's very similar to what happened at the turn of the 19th and 20th century at the onslaught of Christian liberal of of, um, what was called Christian liberalism uh, that eventually produced liberal theology that utterly bankrupted and um, and eviscerated the mainline Protestant church. Well, now the evangelical church is under a similar uh, assault. Um, not not bad-intentioned by many, well-intentioned, but while maybe uh, right-hearted in some cases, uh, although not every case, but it is wrong-headed in terms of what God's Word would say concerning Christ's church. And one of the points that I have tried to make is that the uh, current progressive Christianity is going to do to the evangelical church what liberal Christianity did because progressive Christianity and liberal Christianity are first cousins, uh, maybe even sisters in some way. Um, and, and just, and the reason why is because they have the wrong motivation and they have the wrong mission. The motivation of liberal Christianity was The motivation was to make the church relevant to the culture. The modern mind had come into, uh, had risen in the 19th century 
and with the modern mind was the notion that the cult, that the church was needed to update itself doctrinally and lifestyle-wise so that the culture would find the church relevant. Now, that was done with a lot of hope. Uh, it was even this, it was a utopian post-millennial that they were going to usher in the kingdom in the 1900s. Uh, there was even the development of Christian magazines called the Christian Century at the time. That that's what was going to be done. But first, the church, the Protestant church, had to be updated. It had to become culturally relevant. And why did it need to be culturally relevant? Well, that motivation then led to a new mission for the church. And the new mission was the church exists to transform the culture. Now, there is no doubt when the church does its ministry, cultures get changed. But is that the mission of the church or is that the consequence of the church that is on mission? Well, they said it's the mission of the church. And there's one thing I ask you to remember from the eight sermons that we've done on progressive Christianity. Please remember this. Whatever becomes the functional motivation and mission of a church will eventually determine both its message and its ministries. That cultural, the desire for cultural relevancy for the purpose of cultural transformation will eventually put the church at a point of cultural accommodation, cultural accommodation for its message. And that's what happened with liberal Christianity. Liberal Christianity wanting to be relevant, wanting to be uh, an agent of transformation and to have its seat at the table of the culture shapers of society, that at that particular moment, then the church began to accommodate what the culture said it needed to believe. And so what happened is in liberal theology, they just went into the bank of biblical doctrine and began to vacuum out everything that the culture says was um, was unbelievable. All of those supernatural doctrines that confronted humanity in the name of Christianity. Gone was the virgin birth. Gone was the resurrection. Gone was the miracles. Gone was the atoning death of Christ on the cross. Gone was the exclusivity of the gospel, those things that would offend the culture in order to be relevant and to be an instrument to transform the culture, they left. And so first our theology was adulterated, then it apostatized. And then the ministries began to follow. And so instead of the preaching of the gospel, there now became the preaching of a social gospel. Instead of pastors who were leaders of the flock and shepherd and elders who governed the flock now became community organizers that were looking to the culture to tell them what to do and what the agenda of ministry is for the church. So the message and the ministries of the church were shaped. And the very movement that said we're going to save the church from the dustbin of history actually put mainline Protestantism into the dustbin of history. Well, we're seeing history repeated now in the evangelical church. 
the evangelical church hears the call of the progressive Christianity leadership and celebrities and apologists and preachers. And they're saying, you're going to lose the next generation if you don't modify. You're going to, uh, you're going to be put on the dustbin of history. The same slogans are being used. You need to become more relevant as you move into the 21st century as the church, more culturally relevant. And that means your mission is to transform the culture. Again, I will say again, nobody wants the culture to transform more than me. But that is not the mission of the church. That is a consequence of the church being on mission. We have to have, we cannot have mission creep. Because once you have the wrong motivation and the wrong mission, then you will adulterate the message. So now, just as liberal Christianity produced liberal theology with the wrong motivation and mission, and therefore adulterated its message to the point of apostasy, the same thing happens with prosperity and with progressive Christianity as progressive Christianity to be relevant and to transform the culture is now engaged in the accommodation of the culture and the modification of the message. So you will find that the pulpits of the prosper of the, I keep saying prosper, I'm sorry, the pulpits of progressive Christianity will preach on the issues the culture says to preach on and will preach on them with the message the culture gives. So instead of biblical justice, there's now social justice. Instead of, um, instead of biblical sexuality, there is now managed sexuality. Instead of understanding the, the, um, the effects of sexual promiscuity and sexual perversity, there is the attempt to, uh, to, uh, baptize it with biblical terms and modify the very effects that it has because instead of mortifying sexual sins, now there's the management of sexual sins because we exist in a highly sexualized culture. I mean, we can't even sell cereal without putting it in a sexual commercial. It's the most amazing thing that we have seen, this predominance of sexuality and the destruction of biblical sexuality through it. So what is happening is that we see progressive Christianity. It's not, it's not, it's not abandoning the same doctrines that liberal Christianity did. It's abandoning the doctrines that are that the culture in the 21st century. It's not the inerrancy of Scripture, but the sufficiency of Scripture that is under attack. It is not the blessings of the gospel in, in uh, justification and adoption. It is the claims of the gospel that regeneration, when you're born again, the power of sin is broken in your life. And while you will never get rid of all of your sin in your life, you do have the power to say no to sin and yes to Christ. And you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Thus, regeneration and sanctification are on the altar of adulteration in the message within uh, progressive Christianity as it takes over pulpit after pulpit. And instead of uh, the preaching of the word, there is now the consideration of the word from pulpit. 
pulpits. And, um, and, the, and instead of the proclamation of Christ, there is the offering of Christ as an option that maybe if you come to, it's going to really make this life much easier and much better. It is the focus upon the life now managed with Christianity instead of the life that is given in Christ so that we live it with the glorious hope that our hope is secure in eternity. And that our and our best life is not now. Our best life is to come. But we have new life now and eternal and a new life now to lead us to eternal life. So what you see is the church contextualizing in an unbuilding. Instead of being in the world but not of the world, the church becomes in the world and of the world because the world now gets into the church, into its pulpit, into its teaching, into its message. And it, and into its ministries and redefines everything. Contextualization is the ability by the Spirit of God to speak the Word of God meaningfully in terms that are understandable to the culture. It is not speaking on the terms that the culture demands. That is surrender. That's not contextualization. That's capitulation. So what, and so then so cultural transformation leads to cultural accommodation, which then leads to, and I'll give you one kind of big word here, cultural magisterium. And instead of biblical magisterium, the word magisterium means rule. Instead of the Bible ruling what we believe and practice, it becomes the culture. And the Bible is, the Bible is manipulated to accommodate the culture. So it becomes cultural magisterium that begins to define the church. And that means the, the uh, ministries change. Worship is no longer God-centered. It's attendance-centered. That evangelism is no longer a call to faith and repentance, but it is a call to joining something. And that instead of, um, instead of the love of the brethren where we consider others more important than ourselves, it is the, insi- it is the call and the manipulation of brothers to simply bow to what we desire and what we want instead of our desire to put one another ahead of ourselves. It is the use of others and fellowship is now ruined and instead of the unity of the brethren, there's the polarization that this culture develops because of its tools that have infiltrated the pulpit. So what we need to do, uh, what we need to do is say, the Lord, what is it your church is supposed to be? We don't look to the culture to give us our motivation, our mission, our message, and our ministries. We look to Christ. What does Christ say? Now, folks, that's where this is very simple. I realize all I'm doing is setting the nail. Not only have we been covering this for nine weeks and before that, really, in this last year as we've tried to deal with issues that have come in not only the evangelical church but into our own beloved PCA that have need, that we've needed to address. Um, and that has been done at no small cost and may even yet be a better, bigger cost in the future. But, but we, but let me just say that nail was set. We're just setting the nail that's already been driven in. Our founding pastor was committed to this that I'm going to develop tonight. And then his 40 year faithful ministry was committed to this. 
these basic basic truths of the of the motivation, the mission, the message, and the ministry of the church. The elders that have guided this church for 60 plus years, the deacons who have served this church for 60 plus years, and certainly with exceptions, but by and large, have been those whom God has called to lead and shepherd and oversee the people, the processes, the preaching, and the um, uh, and the um, and the policies of this congregation that we would be on mission, on message, and in ministry. But I do believe in light of what is and what is coming, it wouldn't hurt to put the nail set one more time unless identified as clearly as possible. And then I'll try to give you a couple of illustrations in the moments we have together. Look with me now. How do we know? Where do we go for the mission of the church? Well, in your Bible, there are five times that Jesus speaks specifically to the church after his resurrection and prior to his ascension as to what our motivation, what our mission, what our ministries, and what our means are. He Five times he does it in the book of Acts and in all four of the Gospels. But perhaps one of the most definitive ones is Matthew chapter 28. I've shared with you before that this is a passage I have heard many, many times uh, growing up because I lived in a denomination when I was a kid that was utterly committed to world missions. And so we heard the Great Commission on a regular basis. In fact, I, I've shared with you that I don't. I, when people tell me, don't work so hard on your outlines, nobody remembers them. Well, I remember one when I was 14 years old. I haven't forgot it, forgotten it from this text. When, the, when I read the text on the Great Commission, it said, go. And that guy said, you take the go out of gospel, you got spell. The go out of good, you got odd. The go out of God, you got a D. And I, that, I'll never forget that. And uh, But that, then I I found out that actually go is not the most powerful word in the text. There's something else. And that's what I want us to take a look at. This is Christ's direction to us. So I'm not going to all five of those texts, but I am going to this one. And I want to draw out for you our motivation from this text, our mission from this text, our ministry, our message from this text, our ministries from this text, and our and our means from this text. And I'm just going to outline them for you so that we've got it and set the nail on it. From the authoritative, sufficient, inerrant word of God. This is Jesus telling his church. Here's what motivates you. Here's your mission. Here's your message. Here are your ministries. And these are your means. To accomplish it. And this is what we have to follow, need to follow. We don't reinvent Christ's church. He doesn't pray for architects and engineers. He says, pray for workers. This is his church, his design, and this is why he has us here. And this is what we are to do and be and preach and proclaim until he comes again. That, and therefore, we need to understand it, embrace it, and stay with it, uh, showing love to one another as we attempt to accomplish this by the Spirit of God together. Now, look with me in verse 16. Jesus is risen. He is not yet ascended. And he says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, how long are you supposed to do this? And how can you do this? Behold, I am. I am with you until the end of the age, until he returns. This is given to us from that mountain until Jesus comes again to the Mount of Olives. And when he returns, this is what he has given to us. I have on occasion said something that I would like to change my verbiage a little bit, if you don't mind. And that is, I have mentioned to you that in Acts chapter 15, you have the first general assembly of the church as they handle theological issues and elders are commissioned from all of the church to meet in Jerusalem. You can read it in Acts chapter 15. But I have now in this last year changed my verbiage and my perspective. I actually believe that was the second general assembly of the church. I believe this is the first general assembly of the church. Christ went to the cross to purchase his church with his own blood. And when he arose and and before he ascended, he called the embryonic New Testament church together at this mountain. Now, we don't know where the mountain, which mountain it is, but we do know it's at Galilee. Could this actually be the mountain that he had done the Sermon on the Mount from? But it is from that mountain that he now assembles this New Testament church and gives us our message, our mission, our ministry, and gives us our means. This is the first general assembly of the church as the apostles are brought together and as they see Jesus. And in it, I believe you can find the motivation and you can find the mission, the message, the ministry, and the means just in this text. Now, I'm going to actually use two more texts to illustrate it, but I want to walk you through this. So what is our motivation? It's clearly our allegiance, our adoration, and our affection to Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. All authority has been given to me. Now you go. We are under his orders. And we follow them out of our God-given order to do his orders for his glory. Here is the glory of the triune God declared in the risen Savior. And we want to be faithful to him. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now this risen Savior who has bound the strong man, go plunder his house. This risen Savior who has accomplished the purchase of his people at the cross. This risen Savior who is about to ascend, having done the work of redemption, he will ascend to work on the redeem through body number two, his church. We are body number two. Our ascended Savior is continuing to seek and to save the lost through us. And not only do we love the lost to go for them, we go for them and love the lost because he has loved us. He came and sought us. 
and therefore we love him. When you love, here is a command that is being given to us. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you, plural, y'all, love me, then you, plural, y'all, will keep my commandments. Here is his risen commandment given prior to his ascension. And because we love him, that's our motivation. Our motivation is not that the world thinks of us or that the world approves us. Now, that doesn't mean we live obnoxiously. That doesn't mean we live stupidly. That doesn't mean we live with bad form. No, we seek to be at peace with all men as far as it lies within us. But our motivation is not the applause of the world and their acceptance and that they would offer us a parade. No, Jesus says you can pretty much, if you're faithful to me, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. You can pretty much be assured of that. So what I want you to do is out of love to me, that's your motivation. Not out of will the culture declare us relevant. Not out of does the culture approve of our message, our ministry. But have we lovingly to Christ sought to be faithful in a gracious way that shows conviction, courage, compassion, and confidence in Christ. Secondly, what is our mission? Well, you know the imperative. It's been preached on many occasions. It was the second sermon that I preached in this church 22 years ago was from this text. And it was here that the text says, the text gives us. He says to them, here's the imperative. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and here's the imperative, make disciples. This is our imperative. Our mission is to make disciples of all the nations. Now, can I, from the other five texts, feather some things in here? When we make disciples of all the nations to send the light of the gospel to all the nations, when we do that, if we're thinking, um, if we're thinking both biblically and logically, If we're sending the light to Asia, Afghanistan, please pray for my brothers and our brothers and sisters there. There's 22 pastors in particular that I'm in contact with that we need to be praying for. Uh, They've already been informed uh, by those insurrectionists that are coming through that they're marked out. They know who they are. Uh, This isn't the time for this, but do you all know that many of them, contrary to to what they were told to do, even by some missionaries, many of them in the, two years ago changed on their national identification card, changed to Christian. And now the insurrectionists have all that information. And they told them, we know where you are and we're coming. So you pray for them. And we want to send the light of the gospel there to them even as we're blessed by them here. But whenever you send the light out somewhere, where is the greatest intensity of the light to be seen? The closest it is to you. Therefore, that's why Jesus said, I want you to go back to the upper room. I want you to pray and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. And where were they? In Jerusalem. To where? Judea, Samaria, 
the uttermost part of the world. And the book of Acts records the Great Commission in the first 33 years of the church. From you got the body of Christ's body recorded for us what he did in his incarnate body. Now you have what Christ is doing in his indwelt body, the church of Christ. And you've got Jerusalem, Acts 1 through 8, Judea and Samaria, 9 through 12, and then to the world, chapters 13 through through chapter 28. And you find the gospel moving out. But where does it start with the greatest intensity? Right where you are. But you don't stop it right where you are. It's not just you. No, we're committed to not only Birmingham mission. We're committed to Alabama mission. We're committed to North America mission. We're committed to world mission because that's our mission. Make disciples what? Of all the nations. Can I tell you one of the things I admired before I came here and one of the things I have attempted to uh, to affirm with our elders? And that is every time a ministry started here, it was started with a with the idea, not only how can it be faithful to the Great Commission. And if it doesn't do the Great Commission, we don't do it. That's not our job. We're not the state. We're not the family. We're the church. This is our mission. This is what we do. Faithful to the mission, faithful to the message. But one of the things I love is the understood commitment was when you develop the mission, when you develop the ministry to be faithful to the mission and the message of the church, develop it to give it away. Let it go to another church, whether it's a YBL or a Christian medical ministry or a campus outreach. Develop it to give it away. But don't give Out there, what we're not doing here. And then when you do it here, you do it here to give it away there. So we want to have this progression. Now, oh, wait, hold it. I just used the only time I'm going to let you use the word progressive until we go home. (laughs) Our ministry is progressive. Just like your sanctification, there's the other time you can use it. Jesus saved you, and now he is progressively maturing you more and more to be like him. And so the church begins a ministry and finds a way to progressively send it. That's why we love a wonderful little book that I encourage you all to read to your family 28 times before your kids leave you, Pilgrim's Progress. Here's the progress of the pilgrim in Christ growing in grace. Here's the progress of the church serving Christ in its Jerusalem to its Judea to its Samaria to its uttermost part of the world. So here is our mission to make disciples of all the nations. That's what we exist to do. Now, can I, I, I've got to say, Harry, you said, but not the state, not the family. No, we affect the state. We affect the family, not by trying to be the state, not by trying to be the family. We're not a political party. We are Christ's church. And when we equip Christians, they know how to go into the state, into the culture, into business, into their family when we do our job. But if we don't do our job, what I'm trying to get us to see is the church's mission is narrow. It's narrow. We make disciples. What you're about to see is our message is comprehensive and broad. Our mission is narrow and focused. We make disciples. But our message is comprehensive and broad. Therefore, 
we turn out Christians who have a broad and comprehensive mission. What is your mission? Your mission, salt of the earth, light of the world. Do biblical justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your mission that in all things Christ might have preeminence. But you and I can't do our broad, comprehensive Christian ministry unless the church stays focused on its mission to teach us and disciple us, to evangelize and disciple us and grow us in Christ so that we are then sent as ambassadors for Christ into every sphere of society because we've been discipled. That's why this is so important. You see, cultural transformation happens. Families change, lives change, businesses change. All kind of stuff changes when we get the salt, the light out there. But the salt isn't going to change anything unless it's salty. We get to salt the salt. That's what we do with our mission of making disciples. We get to turn on the flame and the light and the fire that the light can go out there. That's what God has put his church here to do. So there is our mission. There is that we've got to make disciples and those disciples grow progressively in grace. And then we send the church, sends the work of the gospel progressively to out all the nations. Now, what's our message? Well, I just told you. Our message, he gives it to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We teach and preach the whole counsel of God. God's word, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. But as we, now what, follow me, as we teach and preach, you remember when Paul, when he left after three years of ministry at the church at Ephesus, he said, I'm innocent of your blood. Why? I did not shrink from declaring to you publicly worship services, and privately, house to house, discipleship, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's why I'm innocent. So we preach and teach the whole counsel of God, but that whole counsel of God is held together, is bound together, and is invigorated by its primary pulsating message called the gospel. I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. The word of the cross. I delivered to you of first importance, not the only important, everything's important in God's word, but of first importance is the gospel. The gospel bring is the center of God's word. It's the circumference of God's word. It's the summation of God's word. It is the substance of God's word. The center, the circumference, the sum and the substance is the gospel that penetrates every doctrine and every page of scripture that points to the glory and majesty of Christ and him crucified. That glorious gospel message. Number three. Uh, so we've got a motivation. We've got a mission. We've got a message. Oh, just one more thing. 
And I don't have time to go there, but I'll just refer it to you. When we proclaim the whole counsel of God and the gospel, that is the sum, the substance, and the circumference. Don't treat the gospel as that piece of the word of God that you give to unsaved people. You also give it to saved people. You remember what the apostle Paul is, who is he writing to? And remember the book of Romans? We've been there. Remember chapter one? We were there. Remember what he said? I am eager to preach the gospel to who? You who are where? In Rome, who the verses before he said are saints. We not only preach the gospel to the lost, we preach the gospel to each other and we preach the gospel to ourselves. It keeps us calibrated. It keeps us on track. It keeps us founded. It keeps us biblically centered. So the gospel is saturating as the center, the sum, the substance, and the circumference of the ministry of teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God. Number four, what are our ministries? Well, take a look back in, 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 in um, this text with me. Take a look back at verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee into the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said, All authority has been given in heaven and on earth. Uh, all authority has been given in heaven and on earth. Has, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Go. What is that? Mission. Missional. Going on the, the word missional is not a bad word if you get the mission right. Missional is living for the mission. And our mission is to make disciples. How do you do that? Evangelism. Evangelism. So we want to do the ministry of outreach. Evangelism slash world and national and world missions. And so we are going. We're not waiting for people to come to us. One of the gigantic mistakes, and we're putting pressure on worship services to be the evangelistic instrument. I am all for evangelism in worship. Try to do it every Lord's Day. But the real weight bearing of evangelism is not when the church gathers, but when it scatters. Go to the highways and byways. Seek the lost. They're not going to seek. There is none who seek him. No, not one. We go seek them for Christ, to bring Christ to them, that Christ might lay hold of their heart. So we have a ministry of outreach, evangelism, the church being missional. Secondly, the ministry of inreach. What is, what did he say to do when you go and people come to Christ? What do you do? You Trinitarian baptism. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you go to the book of Acts, what does it say? Under the authority of Jesus, they were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's the next phrase? Added to the church. There's the ministry of inreach. Let's love one another well. Let's embrace one another with truth and love, giving judgments of charity, giving words of encouragement. And even when we have to deal with sin, we're the most attractive people in the world. 
there's one of our elders here. We, I was talking with a couple of our other elders, and I said, you know, I love to be with the guy, even when he comes with something that uh, challenges or holds me accountable or some area I need to correct in my life. He does it so wonderful. It's like he just cut my arm off, and it felt so good. Here, go cut the other one off now. I mean, it's just amazing. God's people, listen, the Holy Spirit can give us the ability to communicate tough things in a loving way when necessary. Truth and love, love and truth. Truth without love is barbarity. Love without truth is cruelty. So what we want to do is enfold people into the body of Christ. Then number three, the ministry of downreach, teaching them. There's discipleship. So we not only, we not only reach out in evangelism going, we not only reach in and people are enfolded. So there's evangelism, there's enfolding as they were baptized and added to the church, the believer and their household. But then fourthly, fourthly, what we see is the ministry of downreach. We start teaching them. Small group discipleship begins to take place, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. And you say, well, here, that's three ministries. Is there a fourth? Oh, yeah. Can I ask y'all something? Who is he talking to? Disciples. Who went to get these disciples? Jesus. Did he go get them? Did he go? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just try. Just speak up. I know it's getting late. But did he go? Thank you. Thank you. Then did he enfold them? Then did he teach them for three years? So when they saw him, what did they do? Worshipped. Evangelism, enfolding, equipping, exalting, boasting in the Lord. It's all about him. That's why I think the church is the great example of the one sanctified sport, baseball. How do you get to first base? evangelism. Then what do you do? You enfold people. You get them to second base. Then what do you do? You start equipping them. You get them to third base. And you know you've scored when sinners who once fell short of the glory of God now delight together with God's people and give glory to God. Now you hit the home run. Now you've scored when sinners who were crushed by sin Now crush sin in Christ and lift him up in praise and glory. Now you know you're scoring in fulfilling the mission through those four ministries. The ministry of upreach, outreach, the ministry of outreach, inreach, downreach, and upreach. The ministry of evangelism, enfolding, equipping, and exalting in the Lord. And what are the means to do this? The means to accomplish this are the lifelines of God's word proclaimed and the Holy Spirit sought in prayer. Do not neglect prayer in the word. Where is the first church planted out of this general assembly? It's Jerusalem. It was conceived in a prayer meeting when the Holy Spirit came upon them. It was birthed in a sermon in Acts chapter 2. Conceived in a prayer meeting, birthed in a sermon. They said later when they were handling tough issues, we cannot neglect prayer in the word. Our lifelines are the spirit of God 
and the word of God. That's why we give ourselves to the ministry of prayer and the word. Jesus says, I'll be with you. Now, can I ask you, is Jesus bodily resurrected? Don't, I'm not going to trick you. Is Jesus bodily resurrected? Has he bodily ascended? So where is he right now? At the right hand of the Father, the glorified body of Jesus. Well, how's he going to be with us? You wait. I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. He is with us to the end when he comes for us. And he's been with us by the Spirit of Christ who indwells us. The powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. And when he is with us by the Spirit of God, then we are able to serve him and to give him glory and honor and praise. And you see a church that is spirit-filled when they are lifting up Christ through the word of God in worship and witness to the glory of God. Well, would you go to Acts 2? And this is how I'm going to close with you right here. Close to being right on time. Acts 2. Acts 2. Notice I did not exaggerate. I said, close. Close. Acts chapter 2. Here's how we'll end. So here's the Great Commission. First time out of the chute. They've been in the upper room. They go out into the streets and start preaching. What happens? Look at verse 37. Here's what happens. This is what we want to happen among us and through us and the churches we plant here and throughout the world. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, as Peter's preaching, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. See, he's evangelizing. And do what? Be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, the believer in the household. And for all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he bore witnesses, bore witness and commanded to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's just counting the men. So this church went from 120 to probably about 8,000 that day. Now what happens? Here's the life of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the sacraments, prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You get saved individually, but you live together for Christ. And then, um, and, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God, worship, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see it? Evangelism. They're going. People are coming to Christ. 3,000 here. Day by day, more are coming. What is happening? They're enfolded. The believers in their household were enfolded. Then what happened? They're loving one another enfolded. Then what happens? They're, they're in small groups. It says they were daily. Now listen, 3,000 people can't get in the house. How are they daily getting together? Small group discipleship. So they're being equipped. And they're praising God in the temple. Exaltation and worship. See the four ministries? Right there in this church. On mission. On message, 
in ministry. So here's my exhortation. Here's my takeaway. In humble reliance upon the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God, together we desire a great commitment to fulfill the great commission as we live the great commandment, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves, on mission, on message, and in ministry. Church growth, that's a consequence, not the mission. Cultural transformation, that's a consequence, not the mission. I have, I'm sorry, I'm out of time. I've got three illustrations of that. I'll tell you what, I'll find a way to work it in. I'm going to let you go tonight, close to on time here. But we are seeing it all the time. I mean, I'll never forget, I'll just give you one of them. Sorry. That Sanctity of Life Sunday, I was sitting over here and I just said to Bruce, Bruce, look, there were ten ministries up here we were praying for. Lawyers for life, doctors for life, nurses for life, a lifeline adoption agency, abortion recovery. I was looking at all of them. Eight of them had been started by Briarwood members. How did they know to do that? That, that's cultural transformation. That's going not to where the culture says you can go. That's going to where God says to go. And they were equipped. See, at least here's one area. We're not by no, I mean, we're somewhere between zero and 100% effective on this. But here, but at least there was one right there. People got discipled and they said, this is what God called us to do. Here's our salt. Here's our light. Let's go. And they made a difference. At one time, we had every abortion clinic shut down in this city, and I'm praying for it again because of the impact that was taking place through people who are being discipled. So that's, folks, I'm not giving you this because I'm opposed to cultural transformation. I'm giving you this because I don't want our message to get culturally accommodated by having the wrong mission. Let's stay on mission, on message, and in ministry. Then what? watch what God does as he turns the world upside down when his church turns sinners right side up. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the time to be together in your word. and Just the privilege to set the nail on this of what the church, the historic biblical Christianity is. So help us be aware and alert to the other gospels that are no gospels. To the wrong motivation, wrong mission that leads to the wrong message and the wrong ministries. But God, most of all, just help us by the Spirit of God in humble reliance be on mission, on message, and in ministry through the means of the Word and the Spirit of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.